Christopher Brenna. I'm Andrew Kuzma. And this is Strange Religion. Uh, all right, I'm going to play this one more time here. Silis. 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 It sounds stupid. <laughs> what do you mean? It just sounds like a stupid word. I will give it this. It does sound like a device. Doesn't it sound like a device? Well, does it sound like something else? Like what? Does it sound like something, like some English word? Is that what we're thinking of? Silas? I think it could also sound like a um, disease or like a um, infestation. Like syphilis? Is it like syphilis? Is that what we're thinking of? I don't think so. I'm thinking more like... Yeah, there were silices all over the bed, and so we had to burn all the sheets. Where? What's the etymology of silice? Silice. Silice comes from where it's from. Silice. So it comes from Cilicia, which is a place, a part. It was a Roman territory in what is now Turkey. So it would have been Kilikia or something like that. Yeah, you know... When I teach my Latin kids, I teach them with the ecclesiastical pronunciation. And we okay. would say, uh, for the province, we would say Cilicia. And hmm. for the device, we would say Chiliche, I guess. Okay. You, I think you learned old, like classical Latin pronunciation, didn't you? Yeah. And so you're saying. Killick. Killica? When I was learning Latin, though, my teacher uh, was a monk. So he liked the, the classical Latin and he liked ecclesiastical Latin. And so he never corrected anybody. He never said, we're going to do it this way or this way. Uh, he said, yeah, whatever you want is fine. That's the worst. See, then you get them all mixed up. Well, so I feel like this is um, the time where we should actually say what a silis is. How about you give an over, like you say what it is and I can go into a little bit of detail on what modern ones look like. Yeah. Yeah. So a silis, I think of this word as kind of like a word like trunk. When I say, um, put that in the trunk, you know, I'm probably talking about the trunk of a car, but if I say, mm. you know, I hung from the elephant's trunk, you know, that's a completely different thing. Same word, completely different meanings for two absolutely different things. I kind of feel like a silis, there's two distinct things that are called a silis. They're both sort of aimed at doing the same thing, but they're very different mm -hmm. things. The oldest sure. definition of a silis is a hair shirt. And the idea behind the hair shirt is you wear this under your clothes and it's made of the animal hair of uh, an animal that you would not would not be sought after. You do not want to wear this animal's hair. And it's usually like a goat or a camel or some animal that has hair that's no fun to wear. It's really itchy. And so you wear this shirt under your clothes generally. And it's just like mildly irritating. And it's the idea is that it's this self-imposed means of repentance. And 
what's called mortification of the flesh. The idea that you're gonna um, you're gonna die to your flesh figuratively. You're not gonna actually really do any real damage to your flesh or your skin. Uh, but you're just gonna you're gonna stop caring about um, the relative value of your own body in relation to your spiritual pursuits. The other very distinct thing that a Asilis uh, is, is it's uh, now the modern definition is broader and it means any device that's worn for the same purposes as a hair shirt. And the most common kind of Silas nowadays is a strap, um, a metal um, chain that's barbed that you put around your thigh and you, that you tighten um, to cause a mild amount of discomfort. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, yeah, uh, that's the most common one. At least that's one people think of today. And I'm, in the recent movie, I guess it's not recent anymore, but in the Da Vinci Code, Paul Bettany's character wears one around his thigh. It kind of looks like a garter belt, actually, like a metal garter belt. And kind of like a, looks like it has a texture of a chain link fence. Maybe, maybe a little thinner than that, but it's, uh, it doesn't look, it's not like spikes. It doesn't look like it's going to pierce you, but it looks like it would, looks like it could scratch you up pretty bad. Yeah. And something else we should mention is that this sort of a practice of wearing a hair shirt or corporal mortification is commonly associated with Christianity, especially Christianity in the Middle Ages, but it it predates that. Even in the Bible, you have John the Baptist wearing a camel hair shirt. Right, and uh, Elijah. Elijah wears a a camel hair. Yeah, in, in the Old Testament. So this is something that predates Christianity and is extends beyond just Christianity. I think in Western culture, it's most commonly associated with a sort of old Christian form of spirituality. And I guess that's mostly what we'll be talking about, but it is, it extends beyond that. Yeah. By the way, Da Vinci Code 2006 came out. I thought it was lower. I thought yeah, it was 12 years yeah, ago. I thought it was, came out earlier than that. Uh, but yeah, Paul Bettany's character is kind of this creepy uh, albino guy who, uh, in terms of how you might actually see someone from Opus Dei, we can talk about Opus Dei in a second. Um, I think Paul Bettany's character is actually a member of Opus Dei in the Da Vinci Code. They're a quite a bit tamer yeah. and boring, more boring uh, in real life. Well, he's a kind of a good representation of, I think, how people see this sort of practice today of wearing this this sort of chain link fence garter belt or the hair shirt where it seems he, he's a crazy kind of character. He's the villainous, um, weirdly pious, not like pious in a kooky way, but like unhealthily pious, unhealthily religious. And that's. Yeah, it's he's a yeah fundamentalist in the very the most negative sense of that, and that's sort of exemplified by the fact that he hurts himself for his religion. 
hurts himself physically sure. for his religion. I watched uh, a couple of things from Opus Dei. They have a couple of explainer videos and other stuff. And uh, by all accounts, uh, Paul Bettany's character in Da Vinci Code is definitely overdoing it in terms of the technique yeah. of using a Silas. He's probably got a couple... I mean, I think he's bleeding. I think, yeah, I think yeah, he's, he's got his leg a couple bleeding. notches too tight. But I mean, that's I mean, that's to be expected from oh, yeah. a movie. Everything is everything is always cranked up to eleven. You don't want to, you know, just have a very measured view of well, things. That, typically, yeah, yeah, in a Hollywood. Well, and Opus Dei has done some, you know, questionable. See, things. I don't know. No, I don't. Um, I don't know much about these guys. Do you, what? I mean. What are they up to? What's the goal of the organization? Part of where I'm coming from is just personal stories I've heard from people who went to Opus Day schools. Uh, just how intensely conservative they were. Which again is not... I, I, I never heard it in the sense of conservative in the sense of whipping themselves or bloodying themselves or encouraging students to bloody themselves. More in a, a political sort of conservative religious way but again you can't necessarily blame the organization for that or the order you know just because some of the members are uh questionable doesn't mean the precepts of the order or the foundation of the order itself is problematic i'm not saying it isn't i'm just saying just because i've heard some crazy stories doesn't mean that's opus day's fault as an organization sure I mean, sometimes reading about, you see the occasional news article about some politician or some not even D-level sort of celebrity, some sort of public figure who's a member of Opus Dei who wears a cilice or this, this metal garter belt. And it's usually somebody who's religious and they, they say they do it to help atone for their sins or help tame their desires and stay celibate because they've chosen a life of celibacy. And it does, they don't come across as radical so much as maybe precious or naive. I mean, in the way they're treated, like, oh, isn't this cute that this older person in her 40s wants to be a virgin? Isn't that, you know? Yeah, right. It, it, it's, it's, it is looking down on her or this sort of person. Um, because even if the person is successful in other ways, the sort of rejection of sex is viewed as that's the strange thing. Like, why would you choose not to have sex? Why would you choose to be celibate or to be a virgin? And then this is just like another weird thing to add to it. So we mentioned Elijah and John the Baptist. They wore those on the outside though. They wore them like clothing and the vast history of, especially in the Middle Ages, of people wearing a of a people wearing a cilice is actually pe lots of people being found upon death uh, to have been wearing one, uh, and nobody knew it. Um, Thomas Becket, Saint Thomas Becket, for example, was wearing a hair shirt when he was when he was martyred. Uh, Charlemagne was buried in a hair shirt. 
Henry the Navigator, Portuguese explorer from the 14th and 15th centuries. Uh, so actually one of the most famous people who wore a cilus was Henry IV, Heinrich IV, 11th century Holy Roman Emperor. He had this famous walk to Canossa, which was this town in northern Italy. And he wore a hair shirt there because he was trying to um, show the current pope that he was sorry for making people bishops in his kingdom or his empire without the pope's permission. So he wore this shirt on the outside, which is ostentatious so that everybody could see. He also did not wear any shoes, and he knelt outside the Pope's residence in Canosa until he he had been excommunicated, and then the Pope lifted his excommunication after like three days. And apparently he was in, it was a blizzard, and so he was super cold too. So that'd be a, an example of someone wearing a hair shirt, not for that personal self-mortification thing, but to be really ostentatious about, I'm really sorry, and please forgive me sort of thing. Well, that sounds a lot like John the Baptist and Elijah, where it's a, it's a dramatic thing, right? It looks good on film. Like, I know that's not <clears throat> the intention, but as a story, as a story that you read or one that you would see in a movie, you know, John the Baptist preaching, wearing the camel hair, the, the, the emperor kneeling in the snow, they're very dramatic images. It makes for a good story. It sure does. Yeah. And a good image. And by contrast, you know, the other, the thing that the wearing it under the clothes and having it be this personal thing. That reminds me of holy Mormon underwear, actually. Very similar thing, it seems like. Although holy Roman uh, holy, Mormon underwear is not supposed to be uncomfortable, though. That's true, but there is some sense in which holy Mormon underwear is supposed to be. I got the sense that it's supposed to be purposely unattractive. I think it's supposed to be modest. Is the word they would use? Yeah, I guess modest. that makes sense. Yeah, that's a positive way to put it. Um, Here's a difference, but I think though. there's. It does seem like there's a a bit of an overlap in the sense that this is something between me and my God. Yes, you know I, what I mean, I'd agree. But I you hear like the people who wear the the modern cilice on the thigh, they only wear it for a couple hours a day at most. They don't have it on oh, yeah. all the time. Whereas Mormons right. are really not supposed to take this off except for situations and just in which it would be incredibly silly to wear it, like swimming. Like they can take it off to go swimming or to shower. But the solace, like as a matter of practice, people who use it only wear it for a small portion of the day, relatively. Yeah, I read that too. Or I, heard, I think I was watching a video of a guy from Opus Dei talking about that. Yeah, that is a big difference. Uh, modern people that wore a solace, the hair shirt version of it. Yeah. Mother Teresa, Padre Pio, uh, Pope Paul VI. And then there's a whole order of, I think, monks and nuns. They're called the Discalced Carmelites. Yeah, the guy who taught me Latin was a Discalced Carmelite. Did he? So he had no shoes? Well, he had sandals. Okay. 
But you know, they didn't wear shoes. You could wear sandals. Okay. They're unshoed. Yeah, unshoed is what discalced means. Yeah. I like the thing I love about that order is their abbreviation is OCD. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's pretty great. The fact that they wear a silice or a silice is pretty great. I think the really interesting thing is there's a pejorative term called hair shirt environmentalism hmm. that uh, refers to somebody who thinks that most of the environmental problems that we face can be addressed by limiting consumption. All right. And there's some people that in within the environmentalist movement that actually embrace it and say, yeah, I am a, heart, I, I am a hair shirt environmentalist. That's sort of a, a sense of hair shirt as denial, like taking away comfort instead of adding discomfort, whereas it seems like a hair shirt is supposed to be adding discomfort, not taking away comforts. See, that's just the kind of distinction that um, an expert Catholic ethicist would actually make. <laughs> well, like I'm trying I, to find the loophole to get out of it, right? <laughs> sure. Then I, for one, appreciate it. All right. So any device worn for the same purposes, mortification of the flesh. Okay. Yeah. I think I understand. My proposals for new kinds of psyllis. Let's go back and forth one at a time. All What's right. your first one? Oh, I... I didn't know you had some too. This is great. This is gonna be great. Well, I'm just, I'm just you, you thought years ahead of time. I'm just going. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm just you know brainstorming. Right no, here. I like it. I like it. Okay. All right. The number one for me, I think, is the nipple sponge. Nipple sponge. Yeah, the nipple sponge would be a small, circular, really flat disc, enough to hold enough water in it to make. First of all, just to make your nipple uncomfortable and probably encourage a slight amount of chafing. Okay. So. Or it could be dry, like a scratchy, like a little nipple pasty, like a scratchy pasty. It could be kind of like a mini psyllis, a mini hair shirt. Yeah. I think just having like a moist short shirt on, like a wet shirt, just walking around with a wet shirt. That's, I think that's awful. No, no, no. Wet socks. Wet like, socks would be the worst. Have your socks soaking and then put them on and go out for the day. Yeah. And then it would take them forever to dry. Oh, no, that would, oh, I'd hate that. That's, that's, that's rough. Uh, so the sphincter bullet. <laughs> um, small, really smooth. Like, that'd be like convex though, right? Yeah. I would think real. It's convex? Look. Yeah, convex. No, wait. No, it's just got to have a flared Con base. Flared base. That's what flared we're talking base. You don't want that to get lost. Some people like that, though. I mean, that would not be. That would be the opposite for some people. Well, this is. I mean, this could be a whole other story too, and a whole other discussion. But is the psyllis something that you might enjoy? Maybe you like them. Maybe you have a masochistic tendency. Well, I, would it be okay to enjoy it the way you enjoy going for like a hard run? Yeah, I mean, it could be it could be something like that. I do wonder about, given the proximity of the metal clamp version of the psyllis to the downstairs parts, is there a sexual component potentially to the psyllis? Not necessarily. I think the idea is supposed to to counteract that sexual component that it's so close. I mean, maybe that's not where it's. Maybe that's not why the location is so close, but the idea is like 
you're just so uncomfortable, you're not even thinking about it, or it's just throwing cold water on it, basically. It's like a cold shower. Yeah, it'd be yeah. like wearing like a hair shirt underpants, where like you're not really going to be in the mood after that. Like, look, I'm all scratchy and chafy. I just, it's not going to happen right now. Well, I've wondered about hair boxers or something, or hair braids. And I haven't been able to find anything like that. And honestly, I think I'm a little uh, scared to really dig deep on that one. I'm not gonna stay. I'm staying away from the deep web on that. I think you have to go to the dark web for that. Yeah. I'm sure it exists, right? Somewhere. Yeah. There's probably at least fiction about it. Fan fiction slash fiction on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the slash fiction on for sure. Shirt. Yeah. Uh, any any other ideas? New kinds of psyllis? I'm thinking a shirt that's too tight, but that is, that's pretty much just a hair shirt. Well, I've thought about the fact that sometimes I have a couple of shirts in my wardrobe that, you know, my body type, I'm kind of halfway between a large and an extra large. And I, yeah. for comfort's sake, I like to go to the extra large just because I like to have a little bit more room. I do have some large shirts in my wardrobe that over time have shrunk a, a bit. Would that count? Because I feel pretty uncomfortable in those. I mean, maybe. I had a shirt that had a tag on it that just scratched the hell out of me. And that's really just like one part of a hair shirt. I mean, what's the level of discomfort we're talking about here? I think it's got to be a nagging discomfort. I thought about, because the depiction of this guy in, that's a member of Opus Dei and Da Vinci Code was that he was not wearing it he's not wearing the psyllis for a consistent sense of discomfort but was reminded of it and tightened it at specific times to experience a kind of spasmodic pain hmm. and i wondered if you could dial that back and have moments of discomfort instead of this permanent discomfort which really brought me to the idea of the scrotum mirror, um, <laughs> which to me would just be a mirror that you would wear on the underside so that when you, as a man, are at the urinal, you would <laughs> look down and probably get a glimpse of what I think on just about any man is not an attractive region of the body. So you're going into psychological discomfort now. I mean, I think I feel like there's that's kind of the the next frontier for for the technology is that you could you can inflict some some mild discomfort psychologically and wouldn't need necessarily need to be mortification of the flesh. I mean, your your brain and your mind are 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 part of that whole experience. So. Huh. Let's talk about the ethics of it. All right. Well, it seems if we're talking about silices, if we're talking about self-flagellation, wearing the, the barbed wire around your thigh, that uh, that's off-putting for a lot of modern people right away because it seems like self-harm, like cutting, like something that's indicative of a psychological problem, something that needs treatment. But what I'm wondering is, is self-flagellation, is this discipline like that? Or is it something that's more like 
training for an extreme sport, running a marathon or an ultra marathon, something where you expect a degree of pain and even embrace it and sort of glory in that pain um, as part of an intense discipline. So is it a disorder or is it a discipline? Hmm. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, a buddy of mine runs marathons. He started running marathons because his he had he bought a Labradane <laughs> and <laughs> the dog has the size of a Great Dane, but it has the energy of a uh, of a lab. That and sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> you can't like so he kept trying to have to run this dog, the energy out of this dog, and he was running miles and miles a day with it. And then he realized he was basically on the road to training for marathons. <laughs> but it's That's just a sitcom. Yeah. There's a there's almost a in that particular case, there's almost this like dual instrumentality to it because he ended up really loving marathons and and running them a lot not with a dog or anything but hmm. you know so he yeah he found this satisfaction in it by himself but he was, was also had this purpose of helping his dog feel healthy and what i know of the relationship Sometimes people make a connection between the kinds of things that early Christian martyrs went through and the kinds of ascetical training that monks went through. So mm. if you are a monk and you train yourself to go with less sleep or you train yourself to take a vow of silence, you're doing things you're training you're actually training yourself to behave in a particular way that will subvert the roman juridical system that involves the arena involves torturing people until they say the right things or involves yeah. you know sleep deprivation and all sorts of other types of types of torture so there is at least in a basic sense there's at least the justification for uh, an association between self-flagellation and, well, training, like you said. Well, that it's this like spiritual training instead yeah, of yeah. athletic training, physical training. Well, again, going back to marathons, my mother runs marathons, and marathon runners, especially the ones who do the the ultra marathons, or you know where they run more than one marathon, where they run a hundred miles, or whatever. You know, they lose toenails. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, when they're running, they're, every kind of body fluid is coming out of them. Yeah. Uh, everything. It, it seems awful to me. But I think they take. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it. But I think they take a certain amount of pride in that. Like that's how you know somebody's really hardcore. If somebody is like defecating and pissing all over themselves as they're running. It's right. Like, wow. Wow. Wow, man, you're super hardcore. Or you know, maybe it's just like that's what happens to your body when you run, <laughs> like, and it, like inordinate distance like no body should run 100 miles in however many days and if you do that your body is going to rebel and it's just going to parts of it are not going to work as well so maybe it's just a natural side effect and it's not i don't think they like it i don't think they like that these things happen but i think it's just to be expected yeah i think 
you're touching you're touching on a pretty important part of this whole thing and i think it applies to that kind of training physical training and it also applies to to this self-flagellation and and psilis, but it's the idea of when does when does this difference in degree become a difference in kind people that are defending the use of a psilis, either a hair shirt or this little choke chain on your on your thigh they're defending it as well it's just mild discomfort it's not pain yeah but they don't but they don't like it they're not like oh i i like it now i put it on and i enjoy it when it's there they don't use that kind of language to talk about yeah it. that's not to say that there haven't been a few dudes that have tightened the salise a little bit too hard oh yeah perhaps. well yeah well then they then they move off into a different yeah then you're category then they, they move on to a different category. yeah well that's yeah. <laughs> right yeah it's mostly <laughs> online uh or <laughs> you know if it was the 80s and the 90s anytime before the 1980s something that you only get through the mail but um <laughs> but you know uh yeah when do you go off into this different realm i mean i ran a couple miles today and you know i'm feeling it i don't a couple miles for my ponderous bulk is you know <laughs> something but it's not terrible um i didn't run you know 7 miles or 10 miles or something like that I don't think anyone gets down on people that run marathons and say, well, that's too much. Well, I think sometimes they do. If it's extreme, if it's the extreme version. With the ultra, mar ultra marathons? What is an ultra marathon? Is that 52 miles? Like a double marathon? I don't know. I think it's more than that. I mean, it's over a course of days. Wow. It's just, I think it's, I think it's a broad category. I think it's anything longer than... 26.2 miles. Okay. I remember reading some article. I forget the content of it now. But uh, there was a woman who was breastfeeding while she was running an ultramarathon. Like on her breaks, she would either have to pump or breastfeed. Because she'd be running for that long. Like that she would have to stop and breastfeed her infant. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. I can see how you would get to where you would have to make that decision. But it still does seem very strange. I can understand someone taking a vow of silence because there's other indicators of religious devotion that can be attached to that. It is discomfort, but to me it seems like a discomfort of a different kind than inflicting mild discomfort on yourself. It's psychological discomfort because yeah, you really want to tell so-and-so you know, that he's a worthless jerk, but you can't. I feel like I, oh, for, this, for the vow yeah. of silence, yeah. I was just going to say, I think I, I inflict psychological pain on myself every single day. When I go for a run, like the next day, or I did leg lifts or something, the next day I'm in pain. I kind of like the feeling of that pain because it's it's like I did something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it feels it's it's different than an injury. It's like ah, this is good. Doesn't feel like an injury. Doesn't feel like I hurt myself. But it's a good. It's a soreness that I like and appreciate. I feel like I kind of get the idea of wearing the the thing on your thigh. But here's the thing: I I kind of get it, and I wouldn't want to condemn it. But I also would never do it, even though I like feeling sore. And I I want to say that this sort of practice is more like 
training. It's more like a discipline, an intense discipline uh, that I don't want to do. But I think I, if to me, it feels more like that than uh, self-harm. Sure. Now, that's not to say somebody who could turn to this as a form of self-harm, like if that person has those problems, if that person needs help, I could see somebody falling into this, especially if the person's particularly religious. But the practice in and of itself, I don't think is necessarily self-harm. I tend to agree. I guess I would say this. Over the centuries of many religions trying to associate some form of spiritual training, training of the body to increase mind-body awareness or to increase the connection to the divine somehow. There are so many practices that better resemble what it looks like to exercise. When you go running, if you've done a good run and you haven't overextended yourself, you do feel the burn or you feel that your body having this sort of pleasant sense of exhaustion. And it's because your body is responding to the exercise you did by getting better. Your cardiovascular health is improving. Probably you're building muscle, yeah. something like that. And the thing I don't see with Asilis is a clear connection between spiritual training and, and physical training. I don't see a, as clear a metaphor between that and something like a vow of silence, which I keep coming back to, I know, but the idea that it's hard for me to, you know, shut up for a while and listen to those around me or to try and listen to God. But if I, the more I do it, the better I get at it. The more yeah. deliberate and purposeful I hope I become with my words. If I'm fasting, the same thing. I have some sense that I'm transforming my orientation toward food into something that's more healthy, spiritually. And I don't see, maybe I'm just not seeing it, but I don't see the room for growth in the same way. I'm sure there, if someone is out there wearing a hair shirt and they want to talk to us and, and tell us what it looks like or how you grow over a couple of decades wearing this thing, you know, let us know. But that's the part I'm not getting. I think I agree with you in principle that this it's not necessarily psychologically, it doesn't need to be classified as self-harm. No. I mean, I see what you're saying that when it's physical exercise, your body is getting better. And so there's a positive there. And the difficulty here is that there's no physical gain. There is only, I guess, spiritual gain. You're spiritually getting ripped yeah. and shredded, but nobody can see that. But you brought up fasting, and we don't have to get into it, but that seems like it's getting pretty close to this. I mean, yes, you can use that as a way to adopt a healthier attitude towards food, but doesn't it also work just as deprivation? Just you're not eating something you would like to eat? You could be doing it for the wrong reasons. Just like this albino monk in yeah. character in, uh, what, what movie did we say it was in? Was it in Da Vinci Code? Da, Vin yeah. da Vinci Code, yeah. Yeah, yeah so um, that guy, right, is taking it too far. But yeah, you could take fasting too far. You can take fasting to where you're, and you, you could be, you could have a totally messed up orientation toward it where you're actually getting into anorexia or something like that. 
But I, I don't want to, I, I think that the danger of making that observation is getting into equivocation where you can say, well, anything could be taken to an extreme. Yeah, like I, I see the sense to it, but I also never want to do it, which, yeah, I can't, I can't quite reconcile that. I feel like this is as good a time as any to mention our, our sponsors who uh, don't know that they're sponsoring us and aren't actually giving us any money. But we just want to say <laughs> that if you're going to get a Silas, go ahead and get it from an Italian nun because <laughs> a lot of different reasons. First of all, they probably need the money. Uh, second of all, they get a bad rap in the media. Italian nuns? I think so. In the media? Yeah, I think they're either possessed or... Unseemly? Yeah, unseemly or like really mean. Stern. Yeah, they're too stern. And I don't think that's right. Maybe they are too stern, but they can be sensitive. Well, maybe they're jovial. Maybe you have a jovial, like, grandmotherly Italian nun. You just got to think, if anybody's going to make a really good Silas, it's going to be Italian nuns. We'll talk someday. We're going to do our great episode on the nuns of San Ambrillo. Ooh, yeah. It's going to be so great. And we're going to learn that there's more than meets the eye to an Italian nun. <laughs> Are they transformers? <laughs> <laughs> mm, it's kind of. <laughs> okay. Well, the people will just have to wait until that episode comes out. I mean, all right. I mean, I think they're probably not, but. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Not literally transformers. But uh, my kids, um, my kids got a Happy Meal the other day, and there was supposed to be a transformer in there, and it was it was Grimlock, and it didn't, <laughs> it didn't transform. He didn't do anything. That's that's the it has, that's the one thing it's supposed to yeah, do. That's the one thing it's supposed to do is just do anything. And it was just a piece of hard rubber. <laughs> Big time fail. Should we sign off? We should. Let's wrap it up. Closing thoughts? Uh, so are you going to buy one? Are you going to get us a list? Several? Where I'm at both legs at the same time? You know, they're too expensive. I was kind of looking at prices and you really, there really is a price point. It doesn't drop below about 50 bucks. And uh, mm. geez, that's just a lot. I thought about, you know, um, trying to find the old choke chain. Um, <laughs> uh <laughs> From my dog. My dog, we had to put him to sleep last year. I know we've got his choke chain around here somewhere, but, uh, you know, it's too much work. So, yeah, I think probably no. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really the price thing for me. If it was 20 bucks, yeah, sure. And like, I don't just want to make my own. Like, I feel like I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's not going to be the real experience, you know? But you know, I, mean, I haven't checked Pinterest. Maybe there's a page on it or something. Oh, yeah, or Etsy know. or something. I mean, I... I teach high school students. I feel like that causes me plenty of discomfort. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I teach college freshmen. I think that's... Same thing. Yeah. yeah. Here ends the podcast of Strange Religion. Feel free to check out our website at keepreligionstrange.com. You can leave us comments there and you can email us at strangereligionpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on Anchor.fm, be sure to leave us a voicemail or comment about today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Religio Aliena, and Christopher tweets at uh, C.E.J. Brenna. Andrew can't be bothered with, with Twitter. He's confounded by it, so he doesn't tweet. 
you can find us on Facebook at Strange Religion Podcast. Uh, join us next week for another edition of Strange Religion. And until then, remember, keep the faith and keep it strange. And now I approach the altar. I know my God will see the good in me. It is my destiny. Strange